All right, Rudy, so you played your high school basketball at Kentucky. What made you decide to go to LSU? Well, uh, I was being recruited by so many team uh, schools around the country, and uh, when I narrowed it down to a few schools, uh, LSU coach Dale Brown gave a recruiting pitch that no one else gave out of all the top schools in the country. Uh, he's the one that came up with the winning pitch. He told me, he said, if you were to go to the other basketball programs that are recruiting recruiting you, uh, they would do well whether you go there or not. He said, but if you come to LSU, you can always say you built something. And that really loomed large over me uh, because he said uh, they, were, they were at the bottom of the SEC. Uh, they hadn't had a winning season in a long time. And he said he was going to build the program around me, and all he needed was me. And he said to come to LSU to say that you can that you built something goes a long way. And so I wanted to build something. Okay. And uh, that was what made me come to a school that was a football school, last in the SEC. Coach might about to get fired, but I came, I came anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, what did it mean to you to have your to have your jersey retired and be inducted into LSU Athletic Hall of Fame? It meant a lot to me because of the times I when I came to LSU in 1976. Uh, that coach hadn't had a winning season in five years. I gave him his first winning season, and from there we just went uh, up every seat every year I was there from winning his first uh, SEC tournament championship, a couple of SEC championships. Uh, Midwest Regional Championship went to the Final Eight and then the Final Four. Uh, we uh, won uh, 31 games in a season, the most ever in LSU basketball history. We even won 26 games in a row, which is the most consecutive games ever won by any sport in the, at LSU. And so all those accomplishments uh, was, uh, was a team-oriented winning accomplishments, and uh, I was the captain. And so that made me feel even more uh, special, I would say, because uh, I led my team to to more victories than anyone else in the history of LSU basketball. Okay. Um, I read that you grabbed 32 rebounds in one game. Is that true? Yes. Uh, it was against Tulane. <laughs> um, I was uh, contemplating whether I made the right decision to come to LSU or not uh, because we lost a uh, – exhibition game the game before that pretty badly and nobody came to the game probably like 300 people in the in the stands and then we played against Tulane it was the interstate rivalry and so um, it was a big game for the coach itself I didn't know the rivalry was that big and so uh, it was up it was me against the top recruit in Louisiana at the time who went to Tulane and so they were pitting him against me and I wanted to show my worth and so uh, I pulled 32 rebounds and beat the state's top rival. Okay. Um, so in 1981, you guide LSU to their first Final Four. Talk to me about that tournament run. Um, we, it was a tough tournament run uh, with Arkansas and Wichita State. And I think we played Missouri. No, uh, Lamar. Lamar. And then on to, uh, to Indiana. But uh, the Wichita State Midwest Regionals is really the tough one there. And uh, we got to Indiana. We were, you know, ran into a good Bobby Knight Indiana team. And so, uh, but that run itself, playing in the Superdome in New Orleans, having about 30,000-plus people, 
watching a basketball game was pretty exciting. Okay, so you end up having to play in the consolation game. What were your thoughts going into that game? I didn't want to play. Uh, I, I just admit that I didn't want to play. I bowed out on purpose, and I just wanted to get out of there. Okay, so you head to the locker room. What does the reporter ask you, and what is your response to it? Well, he said that um, um, all the other reporters were asking some really good basketball questions, but he stood out by saying, he said, uh, did the shooting of the president affect my game? And I was kind of taken aback by it. I said, well, no. I said, this is the, the biggest game of my life that I've ever played up to this point. And I said, I was more focused on the game and my opponent. And uh, then the shooting of the president, I, I hate what happened to him, but, you know, I had a game to play. And then he said, well, what do you mean? He said, that's your president. How come you don't feel anything for it? I said, no, I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, if he was kin to me, I would probably feel something more deeply for I hate what happened to him, but since he wasn't kin to me, I had a game to play. And he said, well, I can't believe you. You would say that he's a, he's a, he represents the United States, and you act like he's not a big guy. I said, look, man, he's not kin to me, all right? And that's how I got started. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he baited me into that, me being hurt and upset from the game. I just really wasn't prepared for that. And the other reporters kind of looked down on him like that. But you, what you saying stuff like that for? You know, and, they, and he kind of got out of it real quick because everybody was getting upset with him the way he was handling me. And so um, that's how that got going. Yeah. Do you understand or know the magnitude of what would happen next when you said that, when you answered that question? Not had no idea. I was like frozen because of I couldn't, I just couldn't believe what had happened on the court uh, I didn't have my finest hour uh, Landon Turner just flat out played me and I had a broken finger but that wasn't an excuse that I wanted to use and I just couldn't get going couldn't get no rhythm my shots wouldn't fall uh, and uh, I was just stunned you know because I had a good run all the way up to that point and when I got to my hotel I was still frozen in shock and I didn't really it didn't hit me till I got back to Baton Rouge. So that's when everything turned for you, when you got back to your hotel room. What was the backlash like when you got back? Back to Baton Rouge, the backlash was, uh, I went to my to get my mail from the, uh, the dormitory's mail room, and uh, the guy over the mail room, he said, Rudy, you need to get all this mail I got for you. I said, well, I looked at my box, and the box is not very big. I had a few letters. He said, no, no, you got a big old postal sack, one of those great postal sacks full of mail. I'm like, me? And so uh, I, I grabbed it and I drug it to the room. And uh, the first letter I opened up, it was a bad letter. And uh, so next thing you know, the phone started ringing and, uh, with, with threats and calling me un-American and all the other kind of names you can think of. And it, just got, it all went downhill from there. How were you able to handle all that? Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, the best thing I could do is I didn't want to bring a lot of attention to the school. Uh, but spring break was coming up, so I said, well, maybe I could get away and get away from because I stopped answering the phone. And uh, the letters kept coming. So when I got home to Louisville, Kentucky, 
my father came to me and said, son, this box of letters came for you. You know, it was uh, letters over time. He put them in a box and opened the box, and the letters were like the same as the letters that were I was getting in Baton Rouge, you know, threatening letters. And uh, so I, uh, uh, my agent, who I had hired at the time, suggested that I call the local newspaper in Louisville, the Louisville Courier-Journal, and ask if one of the reporters that covered me in high school would do a retraction. And Billy Reed, who covered me in high school, did a retraction for him, and it went, you know, nationwide, UPIAP, uh, explaining what happened. And then uh, Coach Brown jumped in it and explained as well, and then things kind of went away after a while. Okay. So what kind of support did you get from your teammates who talked about Coach Brown and then from the university as well? Uh, I didn't tell anybody. So there was really no support to get because uh, Coach Brown didn't know about it until after the retraction came in, came out. So I kept it to myself the whole time uh, before I went to uh, home to spring break. And then when it hit the AP, AP and UPI newspapers around the country, that's when people came out and said, man, what happened? We didn't know. I said, well, I wanted to keep it to myself because I didn't want it to, I was thought it might hurt my draft status. And I wanted to make sure I kept that, you know, in check. And then um, I didn't want it to really go any further to, to harm my family because the, the letters were pretty bad. And so I kept it up to myself. And so my teammates didn't know, the school didn't know, the coach didn't know, nobody knew until after the retraction came out. Right. So now in an era of social media where if something happens, guys can go to their profile, they can apologize, all of that, do you think that would have helped you in that situation if you had, say, um, a Twitter account or something like that or were able to get to a local newspaper, a local station right away? Well, I had nothing to apologize for. Right. Uh, it was the uh, it was on the it was on the uh, the reporter looking for a scoop to come after me, and he took advantage of me and baited me into it. Me being inexperienced in that type of reporter, and I was still a college student. And uh, but to that point, all the interviews I've ever had were positive, or they told exactly what happened. But I've never never had a controversial interview. Uh, a rogue reporter until that particular time. And so, but if I did, if this was in the time of social media, you know, I would have had a chance to explain what happened on social media. And uh, so, you know, it's just that I was living in that era. And uh, even afterwards, when social media did come along, Facebook first came along, I still got some derogatory messages from people that remembered that day. Even though it was in 1981, and here we are in the 2000s, you had people that still remembered it. And then uh, ESPN came to me and wanted to do a story on what happened to me in 30 for 30. Okay. Um, so let's talk about your, your pro career. What was your experience like playing in Atlanta? Oh, man. It was, uh, I had a chip on my shoulder because I drafted in the third round. I was supposed to go first round. I dropped all the way to the third. And I really gave me an incentive to really make the team. I said, if I could just make the team, uh, I'd be all right. Because I still had some things I had to learn. I had to learn how to switch positions from a low post position to uh, facing the basket. 
playing the swing, uh, small forward, then later to the shooting guard. So I had to learn all those things early on. It was a great experience. Uh, I played with some great guys on my great teammates and uh, got to play against some of the older pros, NBA players, before they left and uh, got to experience them. And so it was a dream come true, basically, uh, being a starting guard in the NBA uh, after you know being projected in the third round. It was really a, quite an accomplishment. Okay. Um, talk to me about some of the, the people that you play, some of the greats that you faced during your career. Well, my, my, my childhood hero in basketball was Dr. J, and that was my first game against him. And I played very well. I scored that 25 points. And uh, I got his respect. And the greatest respect you can give to another player is to bring your best game and don't back away. And uh, I wasn't going to back away just because he's my idol. And then uh, the next game I went up against, you know, uh, uh, Buck Williams and Albert King in New Jersey and then on to, uh, to the New York Knicks and playing against Bernard King and those guys and Larry Bird, the Boston Celtics, Dennis Johnson, and Sidney Moncrief with Milwaukee Bucks, and Marcus Johnson, and my old good friend, uh, Junior Bridgman. And then on, I had to uh, guard people like Walter Davis and David Thompson and Alex English and uh, George Gervin before he left. And uh, I was always had drew the toughest assignments defensively because yeah, I played the swing, I played the small forward and the big guard, so those are your scoring positions. So I had to guard those guys every single night, uh, even up to Magic Johnson, I had to guard him. So uh, I've had my battles. Yeah. I had my battles, and so I held my own. I won, won many battles. They, they they got me at times, so it's just part of the game. Right. Um, talk to me about what you've been up to since your playing career. After my playing career? Yes. Well, when my doctors told me I could no longer play, uh, I had to find a new profession. And uh, I was working uh, at a bank uh, called American Bank, and then it was called AmBank after a while. Because during the summer months between NBA seasons, I worked at a bank as a business development officer. And when my career was over, I went back to that bank and worked as a loan officer and, and uh, assistant branch manager. And then the, the bank went under and laid everybody off. And I moved to Atlanta and uh, back to Atlanta and uh, worked at a transportation company called Pony Express. I was the outbound manager for the whole Southeast. And then in 1992, I got a call from uh, Governor Edward Edwards' son and said he was just elected governor and he had a position he thought would be great for me. And he wanted to know if I'd come down for an interview. So I came for an interview. And uh, Governor Edward Edwards came out, shook my hand. He said, I got somebody I want you to meet. And out from the other room came Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was the president of the California Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. He was touring the country to, to convince governors to enact or resurrect the Governor's Councils on Fitness. And so... Uh, Louisiana had one, but it was lying dormant. They didn't have a director. The two people before me couldn't make it go. So I interviewed with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Governor Edwin Edwards. And uh, I got the job. 
and I moved back to Louisiana and Baton Rouge. And I've been in this position ever since. And then they asked me to start up the a minority health office in the Department of Health. So to this day, I run both divisions, the Bureau of Minority Health Access and the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, Rudy, I want to thank you for your time agreeing to speak with me today. No problem. Thank you. Good yeah. to have you. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, man. Thank you. All right. You're welcome.